What I'd like to talk about this evening is the subject of wise effort. And if I may, I'd like to begin just with a small anecdote. A Zen master was invited to a great Catholic monastery to give instruction in Zen practice. He encouraged the monks there very strongly to meditate and to try and solve their koan, or Zen question, and to try and solve it with great energy and zeal. And he told them if they could practice with full-hearted effort, true understanding would come to them. And one old monk raised his hand. Master, he said, our way of prayer is different than this. We've been meditating and praying in the simplest fashion, without effort, waiting instead to be illuminated by the grace of God. In Zen, is there anything like this illuminating grace that comes to one uninvited, he asked. The Zen master shook his head and chuckled. In Zen, he said, we believe that God has already done his share. Effort, the whole subject of effort, is probably one of the most crucial questions we encounter in meditation. And it's a question that doesn't seem to go away. There isn't a straightforward black and white answer. And often we find ourselves puzzling, you know, how much effort should we be making? Should we be going like a warrior? wholehearted, intent on enlightenment, um, you know, with effort, disregarding every distraction, making no allowances. And there are certainly styles of practice that very much encourage this kind of approach, you know, let nothing divert you, you know, stretch yourself to your limits, you know, cut down your sleep, cut down your food, extend your sittings, extend your walking. And sometimes, you know, we feel somewhat enthusiastic about that approach. Other times we, we find another part of ourselves saying, well, no, this is not the kind of effort to be making. Instead, probably I should uh, learn to be more receptive. Just simply learn to be more still, to let things come to me, to, to wait for um, flashes of realization or, or flashes of opening or, you know, sudden bolts of enlightenment to strike me. Both of those approaches are extreme, obviously. When we look at um, our own journey, and what it takes for it to deepen. It seems, I think, fairly, off, fairly obvious that some degree of effort is required for depth. It's when we uh, engage in meditation, when we engage in a kind of uh, spiritual journey, an inner search, we are initiating a movement towards something. They have the intention or the yearning to realize something, reaching often for qualities of heart and mind 
which may not be present in this moment, which may not be yet realized. We're often seeking to make changes because there has been enough life experience and enough wisdom for us to feel that some transformation of being, some transformation of seeing is important for us. We find ourselves reaching towards different qualities, towards calmness, reaching for spaciousness, reaching for peace and open-heartedness, reaching for understanding. These are the, the words and the qualities that attract us to a spiritual path. We're not attracted to a spiritual path with promises of suffering and yet more suffering. We're attracted to the sense of possibility. And I, I think probably all of us have enough life experience not to believe any longer in any kind of sort of uh, fairy godmother who's suddenly going to make a gift to us of the things that we yearn for, the changes that we seek for. And we're also aware that fantasy and that resolution and that willpower actually brings little change. How many times in our lives perhaps have we found ourselves saying, you know, I'm not going to be angry any longer, you know, I'm going to be more forgiving, you know, I'm not going to be defensive anymore, I'm going to be more compassionate, only often to find that the very force and the very power of our reactions and our conditioning it sometimes easily seems to overwhelm even the most lofty and noble resolutions. And it is clear, actually, that really no one can substitute for us in this journey no matter how wise or how loving another person is, no one can actually bequeath to us or deliver to us the transformation, the peace, the happiness we seek for. That effort or that way of transformation actually lies within ourselves. Effort is talked about all the time in Buddhism in Buddhist sutras, in writings, in stories, effort is constantly talked about. It is one of the links in the Eightfold Path. It's one of the factors of enlightenment. And it's not just effort that is spoken about, but it's skillful effort. And it seems that if there is such a thing as skillful effort, then there must also be such a thing as unskillful effort. Actually, the word that's used in Buddhism all the time is right effort. Um, skillful might be more appropriate. And it seems clear that skillful effort, it is said, it leads to mindfulness and liberation. Then it's probably also clear that unskillful effort may very well lead to its opposite, may very well lead us into conflict and limitation. The Buddha himself, you, many of you are probably familiar with the story of the Buddha, spent many years uh, developing unskillful effort into a fine art. This is not, you know, a kind of personal accusation. This is, you know, what is actually spoken of. Spent many years 
cultivating the path of denial and punishment and extremes of asceticism. You've probably seen pictures, if you've ever seen any sort of Buddhist books, pictures of the Buddha in his ascetic years when he was so skinny that he could touch his backbone when he touched his navel. He spent years um, engaged in indulgence and control, years engaged in trying to uh, learn mastery, believing that, uh, subduing the self, denying the self, was a way to overcome it. Um, Only to find, after many years, after six years of this kind of pursuit, that actually it led nowhere, it led nowhere to be a dead end. And I think there's many things that we can be grateful to the Buddha for. One of the things that we can be grateful to the Buddha for is that he probably saved us a lot of time. We don't actually have to go through those same avenues and those same mistakes. We don't necessarily need to pursue those same extremes of um, asceticism or denial or inner suppression in order to learn the same lessons. Now, sometimes, of course, we are reluctant to accept the experience of another. We may say, you know, well, um, striving and forcing and, and this extreme of, of determination, it didn't work for the Buddha, but it might work for me. And I think sometimes, especially when people find that their practice has a kind of plateau or a low period um, or a certain repetitiveness, often there comes a feeling where, you know, what is needed here is a little bit more of the warrior. I think uh, no one can obviously ever stop any one of us from engaging in unskillful effort. But I think it is helpful for us to learn to identify the very clear effects of dealing and engaging in unskillful effort, not only in meditation, but in the rest of our lives, because we don't have a separate mind here. You know, sometimes we feel a little appalled and shocked at what the mind does in meditation, you know, and can even regard it as some sort of aberration, you know, I have a different mind here. But to acknowledge always, again and again, that this is the same mind, the same reactions, the same conditioning, the same possibilities that work in a retreat situation that is alive in every other situation in our lives. This is simply a more, the simplicity of this environment simply lends itself more greatly to learning. What are some of the effects of unskillful effort? If we experience in our lives, if we experience in our meditation, repeated pain, repeated conflict, repeated tension, it would be very worthwhile asking ourselves, are we really paying attention to what is going on? What quality of effort, what quality of attention are we actually bringing to the present moment? Remembering that this path is a path of peace, and a path of peace in this moment, not a future peace. It's not difficult to discern what unskillful effort is. Resistance, judgment, striving, they are all manifestations of unskillful effort in that they bring fragmentation. 
they bring division and separation inwardly. If we find ourselves with mind states and thought patterns that are repeating themselves and we find ourselves in that adversarial relationship of struggling and battling, that kind of struggle in itself tells us a great deal about the kind of effort we're using. Now, too often, very much as I was mentioning yesterday evening, when we find ourselves in struggle or tension or battle, we tend to conclude that the problem really does lie in the contents of our minds and the kind of thoughts or feelings we're experiencing. And so often when we conclude that, as I mentioned yesterday, that's when we get busy with our strategies of how to subdue and alter to redecorate. But be honest with ourselves. Much of the contents of our minds actually seems to be really uninvited, doesn't it? We don't choose it. I mean, probably none of you got up this morning and decided, well, you know, it feels like a good day to be dull. You know, or this feels like a great day, you know, to be depressed, you know, or this is a day where I'm just going to dwell on everything all day long. We don't make those kind of choices. We don't make those kind of invitations. It often feels that we really don't have much choice over the contents of our minds. But I feel it is most important both to look at that, whether that is true, and to look at the quality of the relationship we have. Now, meditation is simply not about redecoration. Meditation is not a personal improvement program. It is not a means to kind of polish our self-image so that we're more acceptable or, or uh, will invite more improvement in our, approval in our lives. Meditation really is about insight, about wisdom, about letting go and about freedom. And it is helpful for us to ask on a moment-to-moment level, what kind of effort do we bring to this moment? Effort is the nature, one of the characteristics of relationship. It forms, influences the kind of relationships we have with this moment. Now sometimes it seems that mental states and thoughts and feelings arise and that they just go on and it feels like there's absolutely nothing we can do to change that in any way that they will just repeat themselves and be continued. Now, there is no mental state, no thought pattern, no pattern of reactiveness that has some kind of uh, self-sustaining power. What perpetuates mental states, thoughts, reactions is the relationship to them. If the relationship is one of avoidance or holding, if the relationship is one of resistance or clinging, then that relationship lends, gives solidity to mind states, to reactions, to thought patterns. Always, I think, another important question to ask ourselves is when you find yourself in the middle of a sort of an inner experience or a mind state that's absolutely a drag, you know, you're really tired of it, it's painful, it's confusing. I think it is really important to ask, do I actually need to be here? 
do I actually need to be here? Is there kind of some sort of sentence in this? Is it necessary that this is experienced? We may seem, it may well seem, that we have little choice over the contents of our minds, but that does not imply in any way that we have no choice over our relationship to what we experience. It doesn't imply that we have no choice over the quality of energy and the quality of effort that we bring to the present moment. Wise effort or skillful effort is actually very easy to define. It is the effort of mindfulness and awareness. It is the effort that brings us closer to the present moment and our experience of it. It is the effort that lends itself to clear comprehension so that we actually see what is going on. And that clear comprehension is necessary. You know, it's not enough to just kind of dismiss everything that's going on, you know, that that's, that's just a thought, you know, or that's just my conditioning, or that's just a reaction. If there is no clear comprehension, there's also no letting go. And clear comprehension is actually understanding the nature of what we are experiencing. Buddhism is really famous for its list. It has a list for everything. And it also has a list about effort. And the Buddha spoke about the four great efforts, or the four noble efforts. And I think it's important to understand the whole nature of these four noble efforts. Because if they're misunderstood, they lead to striving and forcing and all the rest of it. But if they are understood, they lead to depth. The first noble effort that the Buddha spoke about was the effort to foster and the effort to enhance wholesome and skillful qualities of being that are already present and already part of our inner makeup. Now, qualities of sensitivity, of compassion, of generosity, of open-heartedness, qualities of forgiveness and compassion, these qualities are not strangers to any of us. They are all part of our inner being, all part of our makeup. Sometimes they may seem to make only a random appearance, but they are very much our inner capacities, our inner resources. To enhance them is to consciously make the effort to nurture and to develop these qualities that contribute to our well-being and the well-being of our relationships. How do we do that? How do you foster something? How do you enhance something which is a skillful, a wholesome part of your own being? Firstly, by very much acknowledging it when it is present. Honoring. Learning how to honor those parts of ourselves. Learning how to honor those resources and possibilities within ourselves. When they are present, honoring them to the extent of actually exploring, acknowledging them intimately, deeply within our being. What do they, what do they feel like in body and mind? What does it feel like, a moment of sensitivity, a moment of compassion? What difference does it make 
that sometimes Westerners have this curious guilt complex where we tend to have such a long and, and in-depth training in kind of honoring the negative about ourselves. You know, we have this kind of really fine art of, you know, these long portfolios about all the things that are wrong with us. You know, and often, you know, sharing or intimacy sometimes seems to consist of swapping imperfections. You know, that that somehow is a kind of honesty. And often we do this to the extent that we don't even trust our own inner goodness, our own capacities for love, our own capacities for openness, our own capacities for compassion. And sometimes they arise and we feel very suspicious, even mistrustful of them. You know, like this is not part of me. You know, I remember on a retreat once a, a woman coming on an interview and she was you know, saying she was having a problem with the amount of loving kindness she was feeling and saying, you know, she probably, it was probably not real. It was probably some sort of menopausal symptom. You know, and how often we have that kind of reluctance to actually honor our own inner goodness and our own capacities for goodness, for love, for compassion, for giving, for sharing. We don't foster the wholesome and the skillful by clinging to them or holding on to them. But in some ways, to really, in some ways, investigate in the factors that really allows that kind of inner opening to happen. You know, our experiences of sensitivity, of care, of compassion, of loving kindness, are they just accidental? Are they just random, haphazard experiences, you know, that we're lucky if we have them, that we're lucky if they appear? Are they just sort of a, a question of good karma? You know, if I've got the right karma, I'm going to feel this generosity towards others. And if we do investigate them, we find that they are actually not at all accidental. What is it that really enables us and allows us to really feel very connected inwardly with loving kindness, with compassion, with, with, with generosity, with, with forgiveness? What is it? There are different things that are taking place to allow that kind of inner unfoldment and inner flowering to happen. Often they happen because there's been a letting go of holding, of resistance, of images. Often they unfold because there's been an effort made to connect more deeply with another person, with ourselves. Often they unfold because there's been an effort made to connect with more than the superficial, with what is really important to us, what is really important to someone else. Often they appear because some crisis in our lives or crisis in another person's life actually allows us to somehow be still and to really be aware of what is important and what is really needed. Often they happen and they appear because of acceptance, because we have the, the greatness of heart to accept and to embrace 
frailties or the imperfections of another person or of ourselves. And that brings humility. It brings a kind of shared connectedness. We don't need to wait for the kind of fortunate appearance of those qualities. The effort that we made in making meditation, in, in wise meditation, in skillful meditation, is really all about that kind of cultivation. The cultivation of letting go, the cultivation of acceptance, the cultivation of connectedness, the cultivation of connecting again and again with what is really important in my life, what actually means a great deal. What is it that is going to enable me to live with a greatness of compassion and generosity? These are the qualities and the ways in which we consciously enhance enhance and foster and nurture the skillful. The second effort that the Buddha spoke about, the noble effort, was the effort not to become entangled in unskillful states that arise. These are really rather wise words. We can probably make a list of unskillful states that arise in the past and in the present. We know what is unskillful and what is unwholesome. It is anything, any way of being, any way of that leads to pain and conflict, that leads to separation and disconnection, whether it is dwelling, whether it is aversion, whether it is resentment, whether it is judgment, anything that leads us to struggle with the present moment in ourselves. Now, it does take effort and energy to sustain the unskillful. Again, this is not just accidental. It is not as if the unskillful and unwholesome states have a life of their own. The effort that is really sustains the unskillful is the effort that we use to dwell upon things, to hold on to things, to feed into things. You know this. I mean, when you take a meditation, you know, and, and you have an angry thought arise. You know, sometimes we can actually feel the effort of holding and feeding into that, you know, how much of a construction we can build. If we feel angry with another person, you know, how creative we can be, incredibly creative, in really uh, finding all the reasons why that person is so unlikable and despicable. You know, we can kind of categorize them and stereotype them so quickly. It is a question of can we actually be creative in a different way? Can we actually learn to redirect that energy, to be mindful of what is in our relationship to it? We may find ourselves unconsciously dwelling upon things, but that's not a life sentence. We can consciously cultivate spaciousness and openness and gentleness and letting go. These are things that we can cultivate. Meditation is a conscious application of effort. It's also a conscious opening to a deeper sense of possibility within ourselves. 
including the possibility of letting go. Even when we feel stuck in really habitual reactions or habitual anger, habitual resentment, opening to the possibility for us to actually let go. Now sometimes, you know, letting go, we talk about constantly in meditation. And sometimes I would say that letting go is just so organic. You know, we we see ourselves holding on to something and we appreciate the contraction and and the conflict that it's bringing and we find suddenly there's the insight or the seeing clearly and we can let go. Sometimes it's very organic. But it's also true, I think, that there's a dimension of letting go which involves some determination. Now, so sometimes, you know, we jump to the conclusion that to use determination must be suppression. You know, if I have to determine to let go of something, I must be suppressing it. But I think there's a big difference between suppression and determination. Suppression is the unwillingness to see something. That is what suppression is. The letting go that is born of determination is the willingness to see where we engage in the unskillful. But it is the willingness to see the unskillful, the willingness to see the unwholesome. It is the unwillingness to engage in the unskillful and the unwholesome. And there is a vast difference between those two. Now sometimes we're reluctant to let go of things because we have a conviction that everything has a purpose, you know, so that if we find ourselves, you know, constantly getting into states of anger or states of greed or, you know, states of reaction, we feel, well, this has a purpose, you know, that's why it's arising. I have to learn something from it. Well, sometimes it seems that there does come a point when we're not learning anymore. And say you find yourself engaging in some kind of inner abusive behavior, you know, such as judgment. You know, it's all very well to say, well, I'm going to learn something from this judgment, but there's not come a point where you're not learning anymore. You know, if you find yourself just engaging in avoidance, you might say, well, yes, I'm learning from it. But you know, how many times do we need to do something to know that we've actually learned all we're actually going to learn? There is a place for determination and a place for letting go. It's like, you know, if you had a toothache. You know, maybe it is useful for a day or two to hang out with the toothache. You know, you're going to learn something from this pain. You're going to learn about your relationship to pain. You know, and you can learn a lot and you know, learn about equanimity and acceptance. But there comes a point when it would be foolish then not to go to the dentist. It's like you've done your learning bit. And now is the time for a more conscious engagement in actually letting go of something. The third effort that the Buddha spoke about was to encourage and foster skillful qualities of being which have not yet arisen. Now this seems somewhat of a challenge. How do you encourage and foster something which hasn't yet arisen because you don't know what it is? And sometimes it seems that that seems a kind of encouragement not to be present. And how do you encourage and foster something which hasn't yet arisen without getting lost and striving and forcing? 
It's not an easy balance to find. Now, I would, I would suggest that if everyone, if we were all fully awake and fully enlightened, we probably wouldn't be on this retreat. Nor do we come on a retreat in order to stay the same. You know, most people don't hope to leave a retreat exactly the same as when they came in. Meditation is often a movement towards that which we only sense, that which we intuitively sense as being possible, but we don't actually know firsthand. Meditation is a movement towards cultivating and developing qualities which don't feel very accessible for us, whether it's compassion or, or, or wisdom or generosity and cultivating them, not as a future destination, because that is unskillful effort, but to cultivate them in the moment. And this is actually a real whole area of exploration. How do you cultivate something in the moment when it is not seemingly available to you? It is something to explore. When you feel confusion, when you feel chaos, do we accept that we just have to wait until that ends? When we feel busyness and restlessness, do we, have, do we accept that calmness must wait until that somehow runs out? When we experience contraction or resentment, do we accept that we must just wait to experience generosity and compassion after that has been finished? What meditation is actually suggesting is that it is possible in the midst of that to cultivate and to nurture that which is not present through inquiry, through exploration, through challenge, through attentiveness. In the midst of confusion, the next time you find your mind racing, agitated, restless, raging, ask yourself, where is the calmness here in this moment? The next time you find yourself really dwelling upon something, you know, just lost in, in clinging, ask yourself, is it possible to let go? Is it possible in the midst of anger to call upon love? Is it possible in the midst of resentment to call upon forgiveness? Is it possible in the midst of pain to find a place of calmness and stillness inwardly? Effort is really to ask those questions, to explore those possibilities, to appreciate the possibilities of transformation in this moment. You know, Don Juan once said that to an ordinary person, everything in life is either a blessing or a curse. Whereas to a spiritual traveler, everything is a challenge and an invitation. The fourth effort the Buddha spoke about was the effort to avoid the unskillful, which is not yet, which is not arisen, which is not present. Now again, I think we often have really rather negative associations with the word avoidance. You know, we think, well, this is really unspiritual. You know, and this, you know, you don't avoid things if you're spiritual. But I think there are times when avoidance is actually really quite skillful. I think we can reflect upon the present and we can reflect upon the past and we can perhaps acknowledge 
that there are situations, or possible situations, inner situations, outer situations, which if we indulge in them, which will lead directly to conflict and confusion. We need to learn from our own stories. If you have followed an avenue in the past, and it has led to separation and division and hatred, this is where we learn from. This is the root of our wisdom. If we see in the present that situations, we see tendencies of judgment, tendencies of construction, tendencies of, of suppression, these are our stories. And in our stories are the roots of our wisdom. Our stories are our greatest teachers. Our stories tell us again and again what contributes to well-being inwardly and what contributes to conflict and division and separation. There are times when avoidance is a conscious application of wisdom and a conscious application of letting go. It's not avoidance out of blindness. Not avoidance out of fear. Not avoidance out of, out of inner, inner doubt. But avoidance out of wisdom. A conscious application of letting go. The last thing I'd just like to finish with is just to distinguish the difference between intensity and passion. Some people get in, entangled in intensity and they think that they're making wise effort. But intensity is something that almost always directs itself towards the future, towards goals. It almost always involves a certain denial of the present moment. But I would suggest that passion is an extraordinarily important ingredient in deepening a meditation. It is a passion which is a a love of being clear, a love of depth, a love of connectedness, a love of understanding. That kind of passion, I feel, is, is the kind quality of love which brings us again and again back to the present with an open heart, with a welcome, with an unconditional acceptance. And that passion, I would say, is essential. You know, this path is too difficult for the spiritually lukewarm. This path is too difficult only to satisfy a kind of mild curiosity. And it doesn't mean that we have to be kind of rampant pursuers of the truth. But to have a quiet inner and yet clear dedication to what is really valuable, what is really significant in our lives, in our world, what really makes a difference. To have a passion and a love of that. From that comes inspiration. From inspiration comes energy. And from the inspiration and the energy comes all of the skillful and the wholesome effort that it really makes a difference in meditation. May all beings live with clarity. May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings live with compassion.